This episode is brought to you by KitCaster. KitCaster books you on top podcasts. How do funded startup founders attract prospects and talent? Podcast interviews. How do entrepreneurs with exits find new deals? Podcast interviews. How do C-suite execs differentiate in crowded markets? Podcast interviews. KitCaster books you on top podcasts. Click the link in the show notes for a special offer. Celebrate good conversation. This podcast is brought to you by BitIRA, my affiliate partner. Uh, BitIRA leads the industry in helping consumers diversify their retirement accounts with cryptocurrency investments. Why BitIRA? Because they are among the most secure and compliant digital IRA solutions, guys, uh, providers on the market. Their uncompromising commitment to security includes storing consumers, cryptocurrency, and cold storage within grade V nuclear bunkers, uh, protecting consumers stored cryptocurrency with end-to-end insurance, complying proactively with regulations by using regulated exchanges and registering with the U.S. government. Every asset class carries its own set of advantages. Uh, the key is, is achieving your financial objectives and growing your wealth is understanding those advantages and learning to balance your investments across a range of appropriate asset classes suited to your unique situation. So per notice 2014 to 21, 2021 from the internal revenue services, digital currencies are treated as personal properties for tax purposes, thus making them eligible to be held inside a digital IRA account. That means that any gains you occur through your digital currency investments remain tax free until you withdraw them from your retirement account as a distribution. And here's something else that many people don't know. If you sell your digital currencies within your IRA uh, without taking a distribution, any gains that you may have made can be reinvested in other asset classes. In other words, your IRA does not need to remain entirely in digital assets to keep this tax deferred designation. The current cryptocurrencies you can actually invest in in BitIRA are Bitcoin, Bitcoin Cash, uh, Chainlink, Ethereum, Ethereum Classic, Zcash and Stellar Lumens. Welcome to the future. I'm BioChef T. And guys, click my Bit IRA link, affiliate link, right in the description to learn more and get yourself a free guide on digital IRAs. Peace. Hey, th- again, thanks for joining me right here on Between Podcast. Uh, so, Eddie, I, I read a little bit about your bio. You, you're the CEO of Eating Green, right? Yeah, that's I correct. Co-founder of BuzzShift. BuzzShift, yeah. is that like yeah. a digital agency or something like that? It sure is, yeah. Can you tell me a little bit about that, if you don't mind? Yeah, absolutely. So, my bu- business partner, Cameron Gottlieb, and I started in 2010. And we really saw sort of a need in the marketplace for a, a, a natively digital agency. 
uh, back then it was you know uh, traditional traditional agencies, TV, print, and radio, and then they would try to bolt on web development or social media or any of those things, right? And on the other end, you had uh, social media agencies, you had SEO agencies, paid media agencies. No one was really trying to put all of those two together in a uh, in just a thoughtfully digital way that was natively digital and not starting from you know not starting from traditional. And so we we started it, um, bootstrapped it, did really well, sold it in 2016, um, bought it back on the 11 months later, and then we just sold it again a year and a half ago. <laughs> so when you bought it back, was do you change anything up? Yeah, we 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 changed the way that we operated the company. I think you know most agencies really struggle with margins and with the balance of um, you know creative creative resources are usually at the lowest margin. Paid media is usually the highest, and so you trend you trend towards one direction or the other based on whether you have a creative, really creative lead or or set of leadership or whether you have really analytical. And so we just tried to make it so it was a good balance of both with better margins and better work-life conditions from our, for our, our employees. And um, so, yeah, we ran it a little differently. Um, I think we ran it better and uh, it was, it was easy hat. I mean, if you run one, you run all. So when we took it back on, it was, it was just a, it was, it was right back where we started. It was great, but it, it, uh, I like to say that God slid the rug from under me when I sold it. And then 11 months later, he slid the rug right back under. Right. And so right. it was a little bit of a, it was a little, um, I guess, disorienting for me. Okay. And that's when I was really thinking, man, what do I want to do next with my life, right? With my career, I was 44 at the time, halfway over, uh, but still a lot of career left in me. And, uh, and so that's where I stumbled upon eating green. Eating green, eating green, yeah. and that's and you're the CEO of Eating Green, right? And that's correct. This is a technology company focused on it's vertical vertical farming. Vertical farming, yep. Ag tech, mm -hmm. ag tech. Okay, you're, where are you located? Uh, we're in uh, Dallas, Fort Worth. Okay, is that where you're from? Yeah. Oh, cool, cool. So, tell me a little bit about uh, the vertical farming experience. We'd love to know, you know, that story. Maybe even leading up to it too. I think it's extremely fascinating, especially now in a world where we're trying to focus on more nutritional foods, right? And, yeah. you know, moving in, move in the direction of sustainability, which is yeah. super important for our climate. So, you know, eating green, our, our, what we're trying to solve, the problem that we're trying to solve is one of distribution. We're literally trying to solve a distribution problem for uh, fresh, nutritious, leafy greens and herbs. And the, the challenge right now is that 90% of our lettuce that you and I eat in our salads, right, every day, 90% of it comes from California or Arizona, and specifically two spots in California and Arizona. Where, where exactly? Uh, Salinas Valley, and then in the Yuma area. Okay. So when you, when you talk about when people in Dallas, Nashville, Chicago, New York, when they're eating their salads they're actually eating 2000 or 3000 mile salads, right? So it's nutritious for their body, but they have no idea where it came from. And if they knew where it came from and what the true costs of it to get there was, they would probably have a different view of how great their salad is, right? Uh, and so when you can shrink that distribution supply chain 
length and you can bring the farm right next to where the people are, you're fundamentally changing a lot of different aspects of the market. Uh, one of which is what we're seeing right now, especially in the pandemic or post pandemic, is the supply chain problem, right? Right. Uh, you you cannot, it, the, the problem is not supply. It's actually the, it's the, the supply chain and distribution costs uh, that are bottlenecking all of the supply of whatever we're eating today and whatever we're using, whether it be coffee cups or, you know, computers, microchips or lettuce. So if you can bring it from 2000 miles away to next door, you're, you're solving for a massive, massive headache uh, in this you know, in this current economy. And within that length of the supply chain, you've got a lot of different other issues, one of which is uh, just on the on on the supply end, which is, if you can't get enough through the supply chain, it sits out there in the fields and it wastes and it rots. And right now, our industry accounts for 30% waste in the field. I don't know, I don't know what any other industry would actually be able to stomach that but somehow the the produce industry accounts for 30 percent waste in the field and then once you get it off the field it's it sits in the supply chain for a week and a half or two weeks and it goes bad by the time it gets to your fridge it goes bad in three or four days i mean that's why everyone they just buy lettuce and leafy greens and all of those things and it goes to waste they just trade a fresh one out for a, a rotten one right just because they've didn't have time to eat it or, you know, or, or just sat there. So uh, you've got this real waste problem from the distribution supply uh, and supply chain issues. And then finally, um, you've got all the environmental concerns, right? So um, a 40 acre field of lettuce will waste probably eight to 900,000 gallons of water a year. Mm. Uh, and it's, and it's, contaminated with pesticides and so it, it creates this contamination runoff of eight to nine hundred thousand gallons a year in a super drought area right both of those right those, right 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 both of those areas i just mentioned are in a super drought and have been and will be right uh, so you've got that component and then you've got you know 110 gallons of diesel fuel and 2500 pounds of co2 that are being put into the air just to get it to a distribution center and then you know once it's there it sits uh while it it's able you know it's, it's it has to wait till to be distributed out to the grocery stores and then once it's in the grocery stores it sits on the shelf so you got all this waste and all these environmental issues because it's so far away so what if you could bring the farm right next to you how what what all would that solve and then what are the benefits beyond just solving those issues? What are the benefits that are redemptive and restorative to society? Well, for us, you know, we're shrinking 40 acres of open field farming into an acre and a half. And it's are located you, right so next to distribution centers. Are, right? you a, are you able to set this up for a residential use as well? Like, and like backyards? Not yet. Not okay. yet. We're, we're working on that. So, so there are backyard... Um, there are backyard solutions, but the problem with backyard solutions is you have to have a yard. Right. And then two, uh, even if it's your apartment, like you're going to, you know, you see those tower gardens and they're awesome, but then all of a sudden you have 10 pounds of tomatoes. Like it, it doesn't, 
there's no sort of um, there's no a network effect of everyone growing their own things in collaboration so that everyone has a lot of what they want, right? It's you're, it's almost too small to be sustainable at scale uh, in, in within a community. Do you think we'll get there in the future? I think we will. Um, it's going to take a lot of coordination. And so, I, you know, one of the things is we're, we're like, we want to feed people at scale with lettuce, leafy greens, herbs. Uh, <clears throat> but that's all we grow, right? We are not a silver bullet. So it's going to take us plus community gardens and backyard gardens, plus your normal, you know, your, your conventional farms uh, to supply all of these things in a way that is uh, sustainable environmentally, but more importantly, and you hear about now, is uh, that provides for economic resilience and food security within right. our own borders, right? So when you can take 40 acres open open field farming and put it right next to a distribution center, you've solved for all of those distribution problems, as well as you've saved uh, upwards of 10% of what your, um, you know, what a grocery sells for a bag of lettuce is saved when you move that next door to, when you move that farm next to our distribution center. Now, I don't know if you know this, but grocery store margins thrive at 2%. Mm. Like it is a, I would not want to be, I would not want to own a grocery store chain. Mm. They, that's where, that is their, that's their profit margins is 2%. Wow. So if I come in and say, Hey, I'm, I'm cutting out 10% of that cost right. for you to recapture or pass on to your customers and your, you know, everyday low prices. I mean, I've, I've quadrupled their profit margin, mm. right? That that's huge for them. That so it huge. solves a lot of economic issues, but then it solves all those environmental issues. And then for the consumer, they get fresher, more local, taste better produce at the same exact price or even lower than what they're paying right now. And it lasts two weeks in their fridge as opposed to three days. So, so it, that's the that's the that's the solve, right? Two weeks, you said. It lasts for two weeks. Oh yeah, easy. Yeah. So it, it lasts for two. Can you? Why does it last for two weeks? Well, one is surely it's not sitting in the supply chain for a week and a half. Okay, which is okay. Yep. Which which makes up for a lot of it, but two, uh, you know, are the way that we're we're uh, feeding our plants with the water temperature and the water flow and the nutrient mix and the air all around each an individual plant spot. Um, one is patented and two, it allows that plant to have it an all you can eat buffet, if you will. So let and me so ask you something. Uh, yeah. So like on a molecular level, like what, what exactly are we feeding these plants that's in the vertical farm? Uh, it's, it's no different than the nutrients you would find uh, in, you know, fertilizers or the nutrient mix that you would find, you know, in soil, honestly, nitrogen and all that nitrogen, stuff. phosphorus, magnesium, all that good stuff, right? Uh -huh. We just dialed it in. So it's consistent. And the way that we're feeding the plants through water flow, the water flow is such that it flows so fast that the plants from top to bottom get the same amount of nutrients. You're just you're just feeding it as much as it'll intake, right? 
And so when you're feeding it with that amount of nutrients over a consistent period of time, um, what ends up happening is you get really healthy plants. They taste the new, the taste profile is unbelievable and then they can grow rather quickly. So we, we can do, uh, with lettuce, we'll do 17 harvests a year out of our acre and a half. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Is there such thing as overfeeding or do you guys have some sort of like AI algorithm? Um, with, with yeah. I mean, you, you have to or... balance the nutrients. So they're getting the same, the, the, the proper levels of nutrients, right? But they're only going to intake. There's, they, they're not an active feeder, if you will. Like when you think of overfeeding, you think of someone or something gorging on, on, uh, on the nutrients, right? Well, a right. plant just sucks up through water. It can only suck up so much water and it, it caps out, right? So okay. you can't you can't overfeed a plant like you can, like you can overfeed yourself. Yours is a voluntary, I'm going to eat more and more and more. There's like a, a reactive, right? I'm just going to keep on eating. That's overfeeding them and you're stuffing them. Right. Plants don't really work that way. So when, when someone says like, uh, this is just like a house plan, if you um, don't, don't overwater your house plan. That's that... different. Okay. That's different you, because when you plan. overwater your house plant, so there are two types of roots in a plant. Okay. There's air roots and there's water roots. Got it. If you flood the air roots, you will drown them. That's overwatering. And then they get what's called root rot because there's not enough air to, to mix with the water, right? And so you get root rot and it gets stagnant. And that's, that's where how you, and then that turns yellow, right? That's from overwatering your plants because you're, you're basically drowning it, hmm. right? Our system is set up so we don't drown the plants. Our air roots get all the air that they need and the water roots get all the nutrients that they need. Wow, wow. And can you, can you explain your, the actual system itself and how it's, I, I haven't taken a look at your system, so I'm curious on the, the techie side of it, on, on what things look like and how it flows and stuff like that, if that makes sense. Yeah, so um, it is a, it's, it's a vertical, we call it, in, in the industry, it's hydroponic, okay. but it's a certain type of hydroponics called NFT, not non-fungible tokens, right? But nutrient film technique. Wait, wait, and hold on. <laughs> NFT? NFT. Why is it called NFT? Nutrient film technique. Oh, okay, NFT. okay, okay, cool. Got yeah, it. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. So um, it's the it's a nutrient film technique of the way the water with the nutrients it, it has a it creates a film over the roots and then okay. the roots absorb the absorb the the nutrients through the water and so it flows top down and then our our patents and system allows it to flow top down in a certain way and allows the air around each individual plant spot to be controlled for air temperature, humidity, CO2 levels, so that each individual plant spot has its own, we call it its own microclimate. Right. And then when you multiply that in a whole acre and a half greenhouse, right, 70,000 square feet of space, you get all of these little microclimates that act as radiators. So in essence, we really only have to condition one fifth of the cubic volume of our greenhouse, which is very, very efficient. Everyone else has to condition the whole greenhouse, blow air all through it. We're only concerned about each individual plant spot. So, so if I, you, 
if you can imagine a good analogy is you're sitting in your office or your home and you have an air conditioning backpack around you around your body at 67 degrees or whatever you want it to be but there's no hvac in the rest of the building or the hvac set at like 85 right um that makes for a very efficient use of energy within your building if you're right. only conditioning just around the people, mm. right? It's exactly what we're doing with the plants. Wow, that's amazing. Hey, have you, you guys been doing this for a few years now, right? Mm-hmm. You're doing it for four years now. Four years. Five. Have you guys, do you guys have any data on like consumer use on how much money they're possibly saving just from, you know, <clears> buying? We're, we're just getting into, uh, we're, we spent four years perfecting the technology and now we're going out to market with it. Um, it's less about saving people money and it's more about height for the same amount of money, heightening the quality and the freshness of what they're eating. Right. I, so it's, it's basically like, I mean, it's just like any other thing like, Hey, you know, uh, you spend $5 a meal. Right now you're eating Taco Bell, but what if I could, for the same amount of money, I could give you a steak and fresh greens every single time. Would you take it? Right. Yeah. Is it about cost savings? Not really. Right. It's about my overall standard of living going up for the same price that I'm paying right now. Has there been tested um, data on the nutritional value of these uh, produce? Yeah, is, is, every... Uh, everything that we can that we have seen uh, is that it's been as good as what you're getting off the shelves in terms of nutrition, nutritional uh, profile. profile. Yeah, right, right. What what is a, a regenerative uh, business model? Uh, regenerative a regenerative business, and so there's a there's an organization out of uh, New York City called Praxis Labs, and they really espouse uh, what's known as a regenerative organization could be for profit, could be nonprofit. Uh, and I'm sorry, even more than just rege- regenerative, they call it redemptive, a redemptive organization. And so, uh, what does that mean? So, in a redemptive organization, uh, it it is opposed to an exploitative organization and even an ethical organization. So, exploitative organizations, exploitative companies, and we've seen a ton of them are where leaders eat first, right? It's I win, you lose. Uh, it's where employees are exploited. They're not treated fairly. They're, they're taken advantage of. And then lastly, it's where culture and society around it is a net negative because this organization exists, right? We've seen that time and time again. There are some companies that are ethical and ethical companies to be absolutely celebrated, ethical companies are where leaders eat alongside their employees. So I win, you win, right? Right. Um, it's where employees are treated fairly, and it's where society and culture are advanced because of this 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 company. Um, and and those are great organizations, and they're they're again they're to be lauded and, and celebrated. But the problem is, unless the organization is structured a certain way, the leadership at top because they're human will tend to drift into more exploitative practices just the way they are they're human right so what if you could create an organization that kept people in a framework that allowed them to not drift right but actually to be 
pushed more into um, something where leaders are sacrificial. I die, you win, right? That's that sacrificial leadership. We we hear it servant leadership. We hear it talked about all the time. But sacrifice means someone dies, something dies. That's the whole definition of sacrifice. Right. But so if a leader says, I die, you win, that's remarkably different. When employees are treated not just fairly, but they're treated generously in terms of parental leave, in terms of mental wellness, in terms of uh, work-life um, you know, not just balance, but really work-life segmentation to where they're healthy at home and they're healthy at work. Um, and then that's, that's phenomenal, right? And then lastly, where society and culture is not just advanced, but it's redeemed and restored to a baseline of what, maybe not even what has been before, but a baseline of what ought to be, right? right? Uh, that's a redemptive organization. And okay. so that's what we're trying to build here. And what what ex, what inspiration uh, other companies you think can take away from that, and and how they can actually start from ground up to implement that and change their system? How do how do you what what would you suggest recommend to uh, you know change that model? I would say you know if you're in an existing organization just to start where you are in your little team, your management team of, hey, how can, I, how can I sacrifice for my team? Not for any of my glory, but just really for the betterment of my teammates, the folks that are reporting to me. How can I treat them more fairly within the parameters of the company? And not just fairly, how can I be generous within the parameters of the company? You know, and then, and then finally, like, you know, how, how can my own little, sphere of influence how can i start to raise the level raise the level of baseline for for what this company ought to be and how how it ought to affect culture that's one way to do it i mean if you're starting a whole other company if you're starting a company from scratch or have the puzzle pieces like i did i would just man take that framework and say okay let's go let's commit to this right let's make the hard decisions now it may affect the profit margins but we know in terms of long-term value creation, not just for the company, right. but also for society around it. How can I implement this and then and then have people around me that keep me accountable to stick to this type of framework? Right, right, right. What 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 are some of your biggest failures in building this company? Uh, I would say impatience. Like I I'm an uh, I'm an optimistic realist but I have this vision for what the company could be and where it is going. And I just think I'm, I'm impatient at times. Um, I, I have a bias towards action. And a lot of times that just, that pushes my team. Um, and maybe that, you know, maybe it's at times pushed them too hard and I've had to throttle myself back and say, okay, I know this thing's going to be successful. We have a path, we have a path to growth. Uh, we've got, you know, line of sight towards um, just some major, major milestones. Um, and I just have to be patient and trust my team that they're going to get there in the time that uh, that it's supposed to happen, right? Uh, right. And historically, when I've tried to push things, especially, uh, you know, 
out of my own self-will or my out of my own wanting to control things, it's ended really, really badly. Mm -hmm. uh, so I've had to learn a lot of patience and that's probably been, um, you know, to your point, uh, um, your question, just, hey, that's been a failure on my part to not be patient enough. Right, right, right. I'm, I'm actually curious to know, building a business is not easy. It takes a lot of time, it takes a lot yeah. of de de dedication and sacrifice in so many different areas, man. Um, can you walk me through your day? Oh, wow. Okay. I, I'm, ju I'm just curious, you know, yeah. as an entrepreneur, like, what does your day look like? Because I feel like social media for many people only see one side and sometimes they don't see the true hard grit sacrifice that yeah. you put in. I'm, I'm just curious. So um, I'll start by saying my day uh, revolves around rest. And the reason that is, is because if you're running really, really hard, um, sustainable energy output is the key to long-term success. You can't burn out. And more importantly, if you burn out, your team's going to burn out. Uh, if you run hot, they're going to run hot. So, uh, and you know, it takes all kinds. I've seen, I've seen leaders just run hot all the time and they crash and, but they've got a great team around them. So the team picks up the pieces and they just go and go and go. Uh, I don't have that. Um, I'm, I'm about all about wise use of energy uh, and my own energy. And so all of my, all of my daily and weekly and monthly planning revolves around rest. And so the, the Hebrew in, in the, the ancient Hebrews in the Bible, their day started actually started at sundown. Uh, and, and your, their day was kicked off by a meal and a fast, mm. right? And rest. And when you woke up, you broke the fast with breakfast. That's why it's called breakfast. You break right. the fast. So um, I start off thinking about, hey, how much sleep do I need to get? Uh, so it's probably pretty, pretty peculiar for a CEO, but I don't have an alarm clock. Um, I go to sleep when my body tells me to go to sleep, and I wake up when my body tells me to wake up. I'm also blessed with a really short need for sleep. I've tried to sleep more than seven hours. My body just does not do it. Really? Yeah, it can't. <laughs> Eight and nine hours is like my thing sometimes. I mean, it's great. And it's, so it's different for everyone, right? Right, right. Um, but if you start off with rest and say, okay, I've got to get to bed by 1030 because I, my body just wakes up at 530, right? Um, then, then that's what you need to do. So and that's what I do. So I'm usually in bed by 1030. I wake up by 530, uh, sometimes six, right? Some of the 536 range. Uh, and then I immediately, I just, just me, I grab a cup of coffee, uh, I make a cup of coffee and then uh, I do stretching, like mobility stretching uh, and then and then meditation. Mm. Um, and then I read my Bible. Uh, nice. And then I go work out. So I'm usually uh, working out by 630. Can I back uh, you up a little bit? I, yeah, I yeah. Cut you off. Go uh, for it. Meditation. How important meditation is? It's pretty, it's pretty dang important to me. Um, I think for a lot of folks like me who are creators and they're idea guys and gals and they're, they're innovators, 
in their CEOs or leaders, they, they automatically wake up thinking of five different things that they have to do, right? I do. Um, if I'm not careful, I'm looking at my, I mean, I look at my schedule the night before to make sure what I have in the morning, right? But I can usually wake up and be off and running. And so it's a good meditation for me is a good way to pause before I start the day. Um, so I, you know, it only, I'm, I'm, I'll probably do it in about 15 minutes, right? 15, 20 minutes. Right. Uh, and then, and then get my mind in the right place. Um, and then, you know, read my Bible and then, and then go work out. And so I'll work out. And so the other thing I do is I do intermittent fasting. So I stop eating at 8 PM and I start eating at noon the next day. Uh, so, uh, I drink coffee, but, but I don't, I don't eat until noon the next day. So, uh, a lot of people will fit in breakfast in there and that's great. So, you know, I do that and, you know, honestly, I've got three kids. I carpool every day. Like I'm, <laughs> I'm the CEO of a high growth startup and I'm running carpool every day. Wow. wow. Um, and that's great. It provides me some, some windshield time with my kiddos, right. um, and, uh, and that's, that's pretty huge for me. Right. So I'll, I'll usually from carpool, you know, I'll take a call or two, uh, and then my, 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 my day's fully going. So I don't actually don't check email, uh, until I'm actually in the gym. <laughs> yeah. So, so I don't check email till, till about six thirty or seven when I'm, when I'm hitting the, hitting the weights. Okay. Uh, and then, and then my day's full of meetings and, uh, I've got blocks of time. Uh, right. to think and read. I think that's one thing that um, there's a book called E-Myth and, mm. and the premise out of it is to, uh, is to work on the business and not in the business as a startup, mm. you know, founder, as a CEO of a small company, you're going to be working in the business. You're going to be in the books. You're going to be doing sales pitches. You're going to be doing all of that. Um, Eventually, though, you want to work yourself out of that and you start want to working on the business, strategic planning, vision casting, guidance, mentoring, all of that. That's working on the business rather than okay. in it. So a lot of my time is spent working on the business and a part of working on the business is thinking ahead. I've got to think, I've got to think three, five years out, right? 10 years out, right. I've got to be looking at market trends, not for the next three months, but for the next three years, my planning is in two to four year sprints. Um, and so to do that, you really have to read and you have to have space to think about what you just read. Uh, and so um, I've got a blog post somewhere. It's probably on my personal blog, just about my reading habits, but I really uh, prioritize books because books take a really long time to write. They, they require deep thinking uh, in order to write them. Thus, they require deep thinking in order to read them. Mm. Deep thinking equals long-term projections, right? right. And so as you, as, you, as you go down sort of the, the list of things to read and ingest uh, in terms of media, books to me, uh, are, are at the top of the list in terms of long-term thinking. As you get to shorter, uh, sh smaller pieces of, of content like uh, white papers, blog posts, podcasts, right? Um, 
those those are great. They require you know a little less time than reading, but more time than social media. Uh, and there's thought that went into them, and so you really uh, use that for called medi- medium to long term thoughts. So I listen to a lot of a, a number of podcasts, not a lot, but a number of podcasts. I read white papers, long form blog posts, magazine articles, right? That that influence my medium term thought. Any uh, podcast then, recommendations? Um, yeah. So uh, all in. Uh, is a podcast about just high growth tech and the tech world. Uh, that's a really, really good one, especially right now. If you're a startup founder and you're in any sort of tech-ish type place, you need to be listening to All In. Um, yeah. And then uh, Tim Ferriss is great. Uh, he's got a variety of folks uh, on his show Similarly, like Joe Rogan, I'll, I'll, I'll pick and choose uh, right. episodes out of that. Um, there are a couple of others there. Uh, I'll have to think of the other ones. But yeah, those are, those are the big ones on my, on my playlist. Um, and, then, uh, and then, you know, social media is dead last. Social media is bite-sized chunks. They're bite-sized thoughts they took bite-sized thoughts to come up with. So they're really short-term and they're ephemeral and they don't mean a lot to me. Occasionally there's some, there's some good, uh, uh, there's some good folks on Twitter that are really thoughtful and they have long Twitter threads. Uh, but they're usually the folks who are also writing blog posts and books. Uh, and so I take stock of them way more than I do just regular social. Right. Uh, so that's sort of my, why I read what I read and why it's social media for me has very little, uh, very little of substance or value. Right. Right. What do you, what, so I, I love the fact that you live the lifestyle of a business that you're building. That's what it seems like you're into the health, you're into, you know, creating a healthy lifestyle. Um, is it, is one of the goals for the business to, bring a healthier approach to food to kids and communities that don't have access to quality foods? I think a healthier approach to nutrition. So I would say like um, access to more nutritious foods and the way that people are thinking about what they're putting in their body. Uh, Our main products, I wouldn't even call them byproducts, but their main um, manifestations of what happens when you bring the farm closer to the people. Right. Right. Um, we, the why of why we want to bring the farm closer to the people is, is because the two founders from South Africa, um, they've got an amazing story of just being, uh, they were feeding folks in their, in their little township in Johannesburg and uh, they saw a kid stuffing his pockets with candy. Uh, and they, they asked the teacher like, hey, what is his, you know, what's his, what's his story? Uh, you know, he doesn't need to be stuffing his pockets and hoarding. And his teacher said, you know, that's actually, it's actually for his three-year-old sister at home. Mm. Uh, it's not his day to eat, it's her day to eat. So he's bringing wow. candy for her to eat. And that's her, that's her meal for the day. 
So it just struck them of, man, what kind of world are we living in where kids, a five-year-old kid has to choose which day to eat and to bring candy as the alternative for his, his, his sister's young sister to, to have her day's meal. Uh, and that's what got them started. So that, that story and that mission is permeated through why we're doing what we're doing. So it's, yes, is it about nutrition? Absolutely. Is it about accessibility, you know, to, to nutritious foods? Absolutely. Is it about changing the diets of the families that are working at these greenhouses or the greenhouses are right down the street from? Absolutely. Uh, but is it, you know, um, is it about the infrastructure that we're building that allows all that to happen? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and ultimately, it's about that kid. And we just don't think people should have to choose their day to eat. Right. Right. Wow. Are, are, are there any recommendations to starting up a business that you can share with the listeners or whoever oh, gosh. watch this video? Yeah, I would, I would say the first one is product market fit. If you don't know what that is, look it up and study it and have it burned into your brain cells. And that's the idea that does your product have a market and does it fit really well that it can expand and scale? A lot of people start their business because they have their own problem. And then they ask mm -hmm. around to their friends and family and they're like, yeah, that's a great idea. I kind of have that problem too. But what happens when they get beyond their friends and family to the people that don't know them? Will they still say they have that problem? And will they be honest with what if this products or the service solves that problem? When you can get to that third layer, that third level of people who don't know you and you can test your hypothesis on why this product should exist in the marketplace and are people willing and able to pay for such product or service, that's when you discover product market fit. And once you have product market fit, go all in on that. There's, so there's a bit of testing to test whether your hypothesis is correct. And sometimes it's correct, but you've got the wrong product. And right. so you pivot and you make something different, slightly what different than what you, right? Everyone's sure. experienced that who started a business. Right. The other piece is you take the product and you find out that market doesn't want it, but this market over here does. And I think it can scale that way, right? And it's more than just one person or two people or three people who want it. There's a lot of people that want this and I've proven that out. So I'm going to shift my market over my, my, my TAMs, my total addressable market over here. Right. right. And then there are times the product just isn't fitting and the market doesn't want it. And you just got to scratch it and say, okay, I'm just solving a product for myself, which is really great, but you don't want to spend 10, 000, tens of thousands of dollars on it, nor do you want to get investor money for it. Right. So right, right. find product market fit first and then, and then do everything else. You have a few locations already, right? Throughout the States. Uh, we've got, we've got one, uh, two, two facilities, one in existence, one almost completed six weeks from being completed here in Texas. And then we're going to start to expand out from here. We're, we're in Texas? In uh, Dallas, Fort Worth. Oh, okay. And yeah. you're looking to expand where? Uh, we, we will, t obviously, if you've been reading the news, 
seems like everyone's moving to Texas. Uh, right. So we've right. got a lot of demand here. Uh, right. We'll probably expand here, you know, uh, half a dozen greenhouses here. And then, uh, but we're, we are looking at the Northeast and the Southeast as well. Texas is like the next, I feel like next Silicon Valley, man. You know, uh, Austin, Austin has really made a name for itself in the high growth tech industry. Uh, and, and, but it's, it's spread to, to Dallas and Fort Worth and, and Houston as well. So it's a, it's low cost of living, at least right now it is. And then it's easy for a business to conduct, uh, conduct business here. It's easy for business owners to conduct their business here. Is that because uh, of like regulations or yeah, low regulations, yeah. Right. very business friendly state. So I know a uh, lot of like blockchain companies are out there too. Mm -hmm. Well, and energy is relatively cheap too, right here. Right, right, right. There's so, um, that that's, that's why a lot of people are moving here. But you know, when you think about again, back to my original premise, the farther away you get from California and Arizona, the more your food, your, your leafy greens and your produce is going to have to travel. So where do we want to be? We actually want to be farther away from California, right? Because we're solving for that, that supply chain problem. Right. Right. Eddie, man, thank you so much, man. Um, you, I think you've answered pretty much all of my questions, man. But um, I, you know, I'll throw this question out again. Maybe you can. It it was definitely answered a little bit, but just you know, how you're looking to transform the world, your community, just from your own, either from your business or just the way you live your life. I'm just you know, do you have like a specific goal separate from what we talked about, or everything was just kind of just in line with everything you answered? Yeah, my life's really integrated right now. Um, right. And so what I'm doing is exactly what I'm supposed to be doing. And I'm doing it because I love doing it. And I'm doing right. it because it aligns with where my heart is. Uh, so yeah, I, I would say uh, my, my, my life's pretty aligned right now in what I in how I live and where I work. That's dope, man. That's dope. I, I'm lo I love what you do, man. I'm a cancer survivor. So I'm huge mm. into health. Health is important yeah. to me. Um, I lost my mom to mm. breast cancer. My wife, she went through colon cancer during the pandemic and had to do a couple of surgeries uh, afters. So I, I'm huge on using my platform and meeting people like yourself uh, to spread awareness, to be informed around new health technologies, uh, way of living, just to live healthier, man. You know, I'm big into health and I, I, you know, I want people to live long lives, long, healthy lives, um, rather than living on some sort of medication to extend their life. If that mm -hmm. makes sense. So thank you for what you're doing. Really, mm. really appreciate it. And, thank you. you know, I look forward to having you back on the show in the future Absolutely. at some point. Um, if you can let the listeners know where they can find you, uh, that'd be great, man. You know. You can go right ahead. Yeah. So edengreen.com. So like the garden of edengreen.com is our company website. And then my, my personal one is badrina.com. My last name, B-A-D-R-I-N-A.com. And you cool. can find all of, all of the contact info there. Eddie. Thanks, man. Thanks, brother. Hey, thanks for having me. Thanks really for having appreciate me. it. I'll talk to you soon. All right. Take care.
Hey guys, I just wanted to stop in here real quick. I know you just heard the Bit IRA partnership that I have early in the podcast, but I wanted to remind you that Bit IRA is actually giving away a Ledger Nano S. Ledger Nano S. Now, you're probably asking yourself, if you're not familiar with cryptocurrency, blockchain trading, and all that good stuff, what is a Ledger Nano S? So if you head over to ledger.com and you go over to introducing the Ledger Nano S, it's all about reclaiming your power over money. Combine the Ledger Nano S with the Ledger Live app for maximum security and control over your digital assets. And Ledger Nano S keeps your coins and NFTs offline and protected. So you can actually buy, exchange, and grow your cryptocurrency. You can manage and invest your cryptocurrency uh, anytime, anywhere with Ledger and their partner buy exchange trade crypto in seconds the simple safe and smart way it's pretty cool stuff guys i i you know have my own ledger uh nano and i've had it for many years and i am completely happy with it uh i am also uh invested in bit ira as well um so for retirement and that's actually a, a really great place to actually you know park your crypto if you're looking to invest your your uh, money into something that's uh, new fresh to the market and possibly going to be growing over the years obviously this is not financial advice i am not your financial advisor uh this is something that's uh i am you know just introducing to my podcast and and blockchain and crypto is developing it's going to continue to develop it doesn't look like it's going away so i just find it important to bring attention to this market on my platform as i continue to expand my podcast just from food uh and branch it out into sort of a, a just healthy living lifestyle experience so check it out guys check out the bit ira link in the podcast description like I mentioned in the preview, um, the beginning of this podcast, and this might be something you might be interested in. Also, Bit IRA is no longer charging a fee, a monthly fee, to hold your crypto on their site. So that monthly fee has been removed. So that's great news. Check it out, guys. I'm BioShift T. Catch you guys in the next one. Peace out. Oh, thank you.